Good morning, church. Good morning. Good to be here with you this morning. So, this morning, we'll be in the first book of the Bible, uh, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I mean, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And the title of today's sermon is God the Creator. God the Creator. And so this morning, we're going to be taking the time together, church family, to, to go through the creation account. Maybe for some of us, we haven't heard the creation account since we were maybe in a class like Katie's class, right, in our children's ministry, right, with a picture book. You know, when I was a kid, I went to children's church. When I was a kid, we had this giant picture book, you know, it was bigger than the kids, and we would roll it up, and it was a pop-up book, and, and that's how I remember reading about the creation story. Um, it was funny because when I was looking up verses about the, God's creation and, and doing some research about it, I saw this picture. It was really funny. I didn't know it as a kid, but there's actually a picture book of God's creation, and it shows, or not God's creation, it shows Noah bringing the animals into the ark, of all God's creation coming into the ark. And it's funny because there's two male lions going into the ark. And, and the comment below was like, I don't think that's going to work out right. It won't. And so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. And before we read, I want, I want to kind of remind us as God's people, um, what we'll be reading. And I want to remind us that the Bible is uh, as much truthful as it is, it is also historical. The Bible is history. As much as it is truth. And there are moments like in the Psalms where we get truth and history that's poetically presented to the reader in a way that they can understand it. Uh, but the verse we're going to read this morning, Genesis chapter 1, is not a poem. It is not uh, an allegory for anything else. It's not a metaphor. This is the historical account of God's creation. And it's from God himself, given to Moses so that we would believe and read it. And Moses clearly isn't the eyewitness of creation. God is the eyewitness of God's creation. He is the participant. He is the creator. And he gives us what he wants us to know and how he wants us to know it, revealing to us all that we need to know to submit and to trust in God, to know that he is creator. So we're going to be in Genesis this morning, and we're going to be diving into Genesis chapter 1 to see that God is the creator of the universe which in our present-day America is scandalous to say in some circles. It's become more and more hard to say things like that, that God is the creator of the universe. And as Christians, we need to say it proudly, that God definitely, absolutely is the creator of the universe. And so my hope and my prayer this morning is that you would come away reading God's word about God being the creator of the universe and just, just say in your heart with confidence how great. How great is our God? How great is our God? How wise is our God? How big is our God? And then we'll discuss what that means. And at the end, we'll discuss the implications that, um, of what that means. And so that's my prayer and my hope this morning, that we come away from this um, saying, how great is our God? And so before we read Genesis chapter 1, um, let's pray this morning. Lord, you are our creator, whether the world believes that or not. Lord, help us to stand strong in that truth, to know that you aren't just our savior, you aren't just our sustainer, but that you are, in fact, our creator. 
creator of all things. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts, Lord, to see your word, Lord, to submit to it, Lord, with love and reverence, Lord, and to be able to walk away from today, Lord, with confidence, Lord, that you, as our God, you are great, that you are mighty, that you are wonderful, Lord. How great are you, Lord? How majestic is your name, Lord? You are worthy to be praised, Lord. And my prayer, Lord, this morning is, Lord, that, that this morning would just be just a long list of how great you are, a description of your glory, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we would see that, know that, and live our lives according to that. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we're in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read the majority of the chapter. Um, and so turn with me to your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read the first first uh, several verses. It'll be a big chunk of scripture, but I, I want us to read it all together. So here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven. Here in day two, God is separating the atmosphere from the sea. We see that in verse 8, it says, God called the expanse heaven. In Scripture, there's these three distinct definitions of heaven. There's heaven that you look up to in the sky, where you see the birds and the clouds of the atmosphere. And there's also heavens that's the universe, the Milky Way, the planets, Saturn, Jupiter, Pluto, or Maybe not Pluto anymore, right? And then there's another definition for heaven in Scripture, which is the place where God resides on his throne forever. And so here we see heaven is described using as the sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Verse 9. And God said, Let the waters in the expanse be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruits, trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. 
And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground, yes, cockroaches too, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And for the sake of time, we'll stop there for just, for just this morning. And, and so God created all things in six days. The next chapter, it states the seventh day. And what God does, the seventh day, God rests right on the seventh day. It's not because he's tired. God doesn't grow tired. Resting is simply not working and marveling. He finished the task. He takes the seventh day to stop, to marvel what he's created. And so he creates everything in six days. God could have created everything in one nanosecond if he chose to. But he doesn't. He does it for a wide range of purposes. We see that through this creation story, God establishes the week for his people. He establishes to the Jews the Sabbath, which is on Saturday. It's not, he doesn't establish Saturdays because they're tired. It's because he wants them to stop, to marvel, to focus on him and all that he's done. So how many days does God say he created all things? Six days. He creates the universe, the entire universe, the resources, the life, the processes, the laws of physics, all matter, all energy, all created in six days. What there isn't any room for in the creation story is there's no room for evolution. Evolution and creation don't exist together. God says, to, God says of himself that he created the beginnings of all things in six days. We know it to be true. We see a change in the day. We see morning and evening the first day. They're numbered one by one. We see this change of time where each day passes on. And he, challenge, he challenges the Jews to follow this same procedure, that this is how the week works. Science is the observation of what is now. But what is now isn't the answer for how things came to be. Human beings are born in how many months? Nine months? It takes nine months for a baby to be born in the womb, but God creates Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathes life into him. And he creates Eve from his rib. Adam and Eve don't come from apes, who then came from fish, who then came from single-celled organisms, who came from stardust. That isn't here in the creation account. This isn't here in the creation story. How things move and how things work now in this life is wonderful. The processes of photosynthesis is beautiful. How trees grow is wonderful. But that doesn't mean 
that's how they began in the beginning. How things are is not how they came to be. And as Christians, we either believe God at his word or not. And, and notice how God creates things. Verse 2 says that all material was formless and void. It was without purpose yet. It was chaos. The Holy Spirit hovers over the face of the deep abyss. The materials all formed together. It was like a mold of clay waiting to be sculpted into what God had planned for it to be. It was like the paint ready for the artist to paint all the glorious spectacle that is the earth. And the Holy Spirit hovers over the face of the deep. And out of the formless, void chaos, God brings cosmos, order, and the laws that all things abide by. Our universe and our life functions on laws we cannot break. Rules established that God has set out for creation. Nothing in this life works at random. We are limited creatures. Everything is. The workings, the limits that God has put on every creature is on us as well. The earth, the moon, the sun is at the very inch perfectly set for life to live. The creation story is not science. Because it comes before science. God doesn't follow the rules of life, matter, energy, and force. He created all life, matter, energy, and force. This moment that we just read right now is a divine miracle that cannot be explained. I mean, how do you explain, how do you explain throughout the gospel where you see Jesus call out to Lazarus who is dead, not just dead, but stinking dead, wrapped in cloth, and Jesus calls out to Lazarus, rise, and Lazarus comes out, risen from the dead. How do you explain miracles like that? You can't. How do you explain Jesus feeding 5,000 plus people with fish that he multiplies, with no mommy fish and no daddy fish? How does God do that? How does God make more bread to feed 5,000 people with no barley, no grain, no oven, no anything? It's a divine miracle that cannot be explained. We don't box God by the rules He has set. He sets the rules. It's a miracle. It's a divine miracle. And no one was there to see it or observe it. Moses wasn't even there to observe it. He's just been challenged to write. The creation of all things is a miracle of God. And I don't want you to miss here what I'm saying, that God and science don't work together. Science proves the things and the processes of the beautiful things that God has created. We believe as Christians that there is adaptation, that what we might call macroevolution, where species change up but in themselves, not into something different. You know how you know this to be true? And how species change but only within themselves and not in other things? You see it in your dog. At my house right now, I have a cuddle-loving, half-terrier, half-chupacabra-looking little dog. And apparently that little dog came from a wolf, and I believe it. Because sometimes that little dude can be mean. But nothing came, but nothing turned into that dog except for another dog. We believe that to be true. We know that to be true. And notice how God orders things. God isn't a God of chaos and destruction. He's a God of order. At least in this beginning part, He is. He brings everything to order. 
the seas become the seas come before the fish, don't they? The sky becomes comes before the birds. And he establishes the steps, the programming, the environment, then sets the animals to live there. He creates the earth before he creates the humans to inhabit it, doesn't he? God in creation shows his infinite wisdom. You have to have infinite wisdom to create all these things and create them only with your voice. That's the power of our Lord God, that he creates simply by speaking, and it is. It's allowed to be because God says it to be. He shows his infinite wisdom. God in his creation needs no counsel but his own. No one helps make his decisions. His decisions are always right. They are always good. And they always bring him glory. God knew the knowledge of every word in every sentence, in every chapter, in every page, in every book ever written before they were even written. His majesty is over all the earth. Not just on the earth, but in heaven. His majesty and his presence and his power is not just in heaven and on the earth, it's also in hell. It's funny, I see pictures of uh, my youth showing me pictures on Facebook where we get this picture of like, it's like Satan and he's got red horns and he's got like a black beard or something like that. And he's arm wrestling this white, this white uh, bearded guy with long hair and it's supposed to be God, right? And the analogy is that God is fighting Satan and he's back to back and they're, for, you know, they're equal in match, equal in power, equal in force, and that is so far from the truth. Satan is created by God, allowed to exist by God. We see in the book of Job that Satan is on a leash by God. He does as the Lord tells him to do, and he does nothing other than that. They're not the same. Notice in Genesis also God's creativity. Do you ever just sit down outside for just like 30 minutes, as I told the kids, sit, have you ever just sat outside with like for 30 minutes with 30 layers of sunscreen and just sat there and just took in God's creation? It's harder and harder to do nowadays. Or I take it back, isn't it harder and harder to do? The world's just made it seem like it's harder and harder to do. You ever just sit down there and by your 10 foot by 10 foot viewing angle, see the hundreds of animals and creatures that are around you. And God created them. And he holds them together. Just like he holds you together. There are millions of animals. Species. Different kinds. And they each have their own function. You ever see how they all move. How they speak. How they breathe. How they procreate. How they do the things that they do. And they're all unique. And they're all special. And they're all wonderful. Two, two weeks ago, I was woke up earlier in the morning. It was a Sunday morning, and my dog started barking, and I went outside, and outside were these two beautiful, I think they're called red-necked green parrots from Mexico. And they were sitting outside on the tree next to where my neighbor's house lives, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I need to take a picture of them. I read somewhere that they're endangered. I mean, how cool it would it be to take a picture of an endangered bird? And I'd never seen them before. And right as I got my phone to pick up, a camera to take the picture of this bird. My dumb dog runs and tries and chases them and they fly away. And the picture I have of them is like these two green dots. And now no one's going to believe me that I saw endangered birds. But they're all unique and they're all special and they're all wonderful. Uniquely made with function and purpose. 
God creates the microscopic bacteria that only survives in the lips of a volcano where no man can reach. By his words, he creates the wings of the peregrine falcon who dive bombs over 125 feet to catch his prey. He created animals that sit in the Mariana Trench that is 52,000 feet below in the Pacific Ocean where creatures are so fragile and so clear that we can't see them without a pressurized robot. God orchestrates the pods of whales, the prides of lions, the flocks of birds, the schools of fish, the fields of lilies, the bushes of roses, the heights of palm trees, the stalks of corn, the dark clouds of rain, the scorching valley sun. He orchestrates them all. They are all under him. The top of Mount Everest doesn't reach his ankles. The ocean's abyss is but a kiddie pool to the creator of the universe. Scripture says that he even knits us in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows every hair in our head. Our hair doesn't turn black to white without him saying so. He knows every cell in our bodies. It's why we can pray to him to help us. He's the great physician. And who greater of a physician than God who knows us through and through? No one is greater than him. All the resources we have are because he gives it to him, gives it to us. We eat because he provides. We are because he holds things together. In his infinite wisdom and power, he also orchestrates the storms, the winds, the hurricanes, the floods. We may not know why he does the things that he does, but he does them. And everything he does is right and good, whether we understand them or not. Lest we be like Job, who questions the Lord, and the Lord responds to him that he doesn't even know what God's doing behind the scenes. God knows what he's doing. He is above all things. God sets up kings and he tears them down. Even if, even if our country of America were to pass away, God would still reign. He is sovereign and supreme. He creates everything with beauty and purpose. And yet he is above them all in power and glory and wisdom. And so press on, brothers and sisters. Press on to know God in this way. To know God as creator, to know his beauty, to know his power, to know his might, to know his wisdom. And none of any of those things are up for debate. He is the God who creates all things. Whether the world believes it or not. Read with me again verse 1. Verse 1 is, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So verse 1 serves as this summary verse of the rest of the passage where God establishes himself as the absolute creator and king of all that is. And so with that verse in mind, I want to touch on a few things that God being absolute creator means to us as believers. God as absolute creator means specific things. Number one, God as absolute creator means that God never had a beginning. God is everlasting to everlasting. God has always reigned before time and space. Young kids, in fact, our youth group, we have a young boy, 
a young man in our youth group, I don't say boy because it'll hit me if I say boy. We have a young man in our youth group who was an atheist before, and that was one of the first questions he asked was, where did God come from? Who created God? And the answer is, no one created God. God has always been. It's funny, as Christians, it's so easy for us to revel and trust and see it totally clear, eternity to come. But for some of us, it's so hard to see eternity behind us. God has always existed from eternity to eternity. God is not limited by time. God is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. God also, as absolute creator, means that God is absolute reality. There is no reality before God. There is no reality outside of God. The reality you live in today, here, now, in this life that you know of, is the only reality that God has created, and you live in it. One of my favorite things I did growing up was read comic books, and in comic books there's like a bunch of issues of superheroes, and in superhero comic books there's something called the multiverse, where there's multi multiple universes, where there's like a billion, infinite amount of Marcos and all these other universes, right? And hopefully in all the other ones they're like six foot tall and 300 pounds of muscle maybe. But that's not how it works here. That isn't reality. We live in the only reality that God has created. You live in it. You marvel in it. We aren't one of many realities. We are in, we are in God's only created reality. God as absolute creator also means, as we see in these verses, is that God is independent. He's not like us. God depends on nothing to do anything that he wills or to support him or to counsel him or to make him what he is. And what that means, that God is independent and that he is the absolute creator, that means the entire universe, you, me, everything that exists as far as the eye can see and beyond that, everything in the universe depends on God. And not only that, but the entire universe, and let it be said here this morning, the entire universe and you and me and the rest of the world is secondary to God. And God alone is primary. God is the creator of the universe. He stands above. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. God is primary. God as absolute being also means that God is constant. God doesn't grow. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And to me, that's such a beautiful truth, knowing that God is constant. That in my, in my wavering, inconsistent, often failing, tired life, God stands secure, unmoved, constant, unwavering in himself and in all his perfect qualities. God's promises stand true. His wisdom never stagnates. His love remains unstained. He's always the same. Always faithful. Always true. Always perfect. Lastly, God being absolute creator means that God 
is the absolute standard. God is the creator, and that means that he, God alone, is allowed to set the standard for what is true, for how we live our lives, for what is right, for what is good, for what is holy, and he himself is the standard for these things. And we, have believed, we as believers need to orient our lives to his standard, not our own. He sets the standard. He sets the standard for truth, for love, for what is good. And what are the implications of these truths, knowing that God is creator? What are the implications of the truths that God is creator when it comes to your prayer life? How much greater will your prayer life be when you know that the person that you are praying to is the supreme God of the universe? Perhaps you will trust that much more. Perhaps you will worry less. How much less will you worry? You know that God that clothes the lilies and feeds the birds is the same God who created all things in this world. The same God who empowers you to move mountains is the one who created them. That nothing is too deep, too wide, too high for God. We tell our kids, don't tell God how big your problems are. Tell, how, tell your problems how big your God is. Right? We need to believe that as adults. We're so used to living our own lives, thinking that we're independent, and the truth is we aren't. We're dependent on a holy, just, wonderful God. Remain in that. Um, you ever have, you ever hold a baby in your arms, or a young child in your arms or on your lap and have it fall asleep? Notice, it, it doesn't, they don't worry. They don't budge. They don't scream. They don't holler, usually. Why? Because they trust that you're there for them. They trust that you'll guide them. They trust that they, once they wake up, you will be there. And that's exactly how God is. God is the creator of the universe. We rest in his loving, wonderful, creator hands, knowing that he has everything in control. And he does everything for his glory and our good. Believe that. Believe that to be true. And what happens after chapter 1? It doesn't go good, does it? After chapter 1, sin enters the picture, doesn't it? Sin comes by the serpent through Adam and Eve, and it ruins, destroys, and degrades all that is good. Scripture says that the world itself groans, waiting for the day of redemption. We are the crowning creation of God, and yet we reject God and we sin. And because of that, each of us is guilty in the eyes of God. We're guilty in the eyes of the creator of the universe, guilty in nature by Adam and Eve, and guilty in our actions because we willingly reject the creator. creating gods of our creation. Or perhaps we live lives making ourselves as though we are a god. But we aren't. God is God. And God is God alone. So, what stands in the way? What stands in the way of us knowing God in this way? What stood in the way before we had faith in Jesus Christ? What should we teach those who do not know Jesus Christ? 
We teach them about Jesus Christ. We show them the gospel. That what separates us from knowing this God as creator and as Lord and as Savior is our sin. And because of our sin is the just and holy wrath of God. And every one of us needs Jesus Christ to redeem us. That we can be in good standing and be at peace and be one with the Father. One with the Son and one with the Holy Spirit. Before we finish, if you would with me, um, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Just a couple of chapters just next to it. So God creates all things. Humanity has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And within the sadness and hopelessness and ruin of sin, there is a glimmer of hope. A glimmer of the gospel that we see in Genesis chapter 3. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, we see where God curses Adam, God curses Eve, or the woman, and the man, and he curses the serpent. And he leaves this little nugget, this proto-gospel, this beginning uh, reflection, this beginning glimmer of hope for the gospel. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, it says, The Lord God said to the serpent, this is the curse he gives to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And here's verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so they've just been thrust out of the Garden of Eden. Sin has run amok, and it's going to keep running amok. Their kids attack each other, and Cain kills Abel. Things don't work out. We see sin in this world, but we see this glimmer of hope from the beginning where God says he will put enmity between her seed to come and the devil's. And her seed will crush the head of the serpent as the serpent bruises or crushes his heel, which we see on the cross. Jesus crushes Satan, crushes the devil, crushes death, crushes sin, and he is victorious over it. We see glimmers of hope. We see glimmers of the gospel here. We're going to read Psalm 111 real quick before we finish. Before we finish, I just want to, I don't ever want to finish a sermon without pointing to Jesus Christ. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but we should never take for granted that we know the gospel, because perhaps we don't. The gospel is that each one of us is guilty in the eyes of the creator of the universe. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God, being rich in mercy, has given us His Son, His Savior, our Savior, our Redeemer. The truth is, God isn't just Creator. He's not just a watchmaker who lets things run. You know how we know that? Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 4. And the continuation of the Bible is a giant showing to the world that God doesn't just let things run. He's there every step of the way. And God has made it so we can be saved. Redeemed from our sin and put our trust in the holy God of the universe to be known by Him and to know Him and be saved by Him so that we can have eternal life to come from the God who was eternally before. So, before we finish, let's read Psalm 111. I'll give you a couple of seconds to find it. Psalm 
1.11. And then we'll pray. Psalm 1.11. And I have it written up here, so in my Bible here. Psalm 111, and then we'll pray, and then we'll be dismissed, okay? Psalm 111. It says this. It says, Praise the Lord. I give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright, in the congregation, great, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor, and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever. To be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Brothers and sisters, we serve the living God of the universe. Remember that as you live your life. Orient your life by the work of the Holy Spirit within you to orient your life to His standards, to His doings, to His work, to His power, to His might. Know that you stand on the solid rock of the creator of the universe. And He is it. He it is that supports you day in and day out. Rest in His hands. Trust in Him. And and don't be embarrassed. Be proud. Be proud to say that we serve the living God, the creator of the universe. Even if the world doesn't want to hear it. Stand in it. Let's pray. Then you respond as you as the Lord leads you to respond. But let's pray this morning. God. How great are you? Lord, you are the creator of the universe. Lord, you don't just create us. You save us. You don't just save us, Lord. You sustain us. Lord, everything we are, our bodies, our life, our soul, our redemption, Lord, is all because of you. Lord, we're nothing without you. Lord, help us to see how wonderful you are, how great you are, how wise you are. Lord, let all the truths of who you are, Lord, open our eyes and open our hearts, Lord, trusting you better, to know you more, to believe on you, Lord, more, and to be able to share what we have, Lord, in our heart, which is you. Lord, you bring everything into being, and you hold all things together by the word of your power, Lord. How great are you? Lord, be with us, Lord. Always be with us, Lord. Help us remember, Lord, that you are always near. That you stand firm, Lord, in our unwavering life, Lord. Whether there's someone here, Lord, today, dealing with something on their heart. Help us to trust and know, Lord, that we stand on the rock of our salvation that is unmoving. 
not washed away by the sands or the ocean that buffets it, Lord, but we stand in the strong arms of the creator of the universe. Lord, we love you so much. And it's only because, Lord, you loved us first. We pray this in your son's holy and precious name, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.